So what do you do when the power goes out? I know I have been thinking about this question a lot more lately, not only after watching the horrible power outages that hit Texas a few months ago, but also after going through our own historic, record-breaking, whatever you want to call it, snowmageddon uh, a few weeks ago here on our homestead, where we didn't lose power, but the neighboring town actually did, and they were out for 40-plus hours. So I've been pondering this a lot lately, thinking about how we can be more prepared for both short-term outages, but also maybe long-term outages too. However, I am far from an expert on this topic, so I decided to bring on someone who knows her stuff when it comes to off-grid living, and holy moly, you are going to love this episode. Amber Bradshaw lives off-grid in the mountains of East Tennessee with her family of five. Her family was actually featured on an episode of Building Off the Grid, Smoky Mountain Homestead, that aired on the History Channel, the Discovery Channel, and the DIY Network. She's also the author of a bunch of books. They're really good. Beekeeping for Beginners, The Beginner's Guide to Raising Goats, and The Beginner's Guide to Chicken Breeds. She also has a Pioneer Learning Homeschool Academy that teaches children how to incorporate the old ways into all sorts of core lessons. So she is so fun. She did not hold back in this interview. So you're going to get so much out of this. Grab your pen and paper and here we go. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I have helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. Welcome, Amber. I'm so excited to have you on the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. Thanks for having me, Jill. I'm really excited to be here today. So... I, when we were creating the concept for this season about, you know, kind of being prepared and self-reliance, I was talking to my assistant, Michelle, and I'm like, who can we have on that is the expert on off-grid living or has some really good information and expertise to share? And your name was one of the very first that came up. Um, So let's just start off, kind of give the listeners, in case they're not familiar with you, some of them probably are, but give us kind of the background of what your homestead looks like where you live, all that good stuff. Okay, well, thanks, first of all, for even considering the fact that we're an expert. If you're an expert at trial and error and lots and lots of error, then I guess I I qualify. Um, But so my name is Amber Bradshaw, and I live here with my husband in East Tennessee by the Smoky Mountains. I'm 40, almost 47 acres with our three children. We have our oldest is Gavin, 26. Our middle child, Morgan, it just turned 20. And then our youngest, we call a little bit, Lyndon is nine. And we moved here three years ago. Actually, it'll be three years ago um, at the end of March. And we moved from a very tiny coastal homestead 
by the ocean in South Carolina by Myrtle Beach. It was actually a little town called Polly's Island where we had like one-tenth of an acre. Our property measured 85 foot wide and 147 feet deep. And that was it. And uh, so, yeah, we, we are definitely fish out of water. Uh, we live off grid here in East Tennessee. We're 100% off grid. And this is, we were, have been in uncharted territory since we moved here. We completely lived the city urban life back in South Carolina. So that's a really big jump to go from 100% city to 100% off-grid. I'm, that's super impressive. What prompted you to want to not only move <laughs> and get a bigger homestead, but to then, uh, you know, simultaneously go off-grid like that? <laughs> Insanity, midlife crisis. <laughs> I don't, you know... <laughs> We didn't get a Corvette. We went off grid. Since um, yeah, no. me, it, it was yeah. Well, to, it was in, it was actually I want to say they were baby steps throughout our life that were preparing us for this decision. It's not something that either my husband or myself grew up with, so it's not like we had it in our roots and we were going back. It it, it was it wasn't there. It was just a strong desire to have a different life than what we were living. And don't get me wrong, I mean, living by the beach in South Carolina is amazing. I mean, everybody's like, why did you come here? All the local people here, they take their vacation in Myrtle Beach. And I said, well, we spent half of our life in the city, now it's time to reverse things. Um, but we, you know, we were a coastal homestead. We did everything we could with our little plot of land and we exhausted all our resources we couldn't grow any further. And we looked at our children and even though they had some of the core values, you know, we did a lot of our, we were very eco-friendly. We did a lot of our own stuff from scratch. They were still plugged in all the time. It was just too convenient to constantly be indoors. And we looked at them and they were, you know, woke up, went to school, did their stuff, came home, did homework, went in the room, stayed plugged in, go to sleep, repeat. And my husband's like, there's got to be more to life than this. And uh, we discussed with them. Well, first, for three months, I thought my husband was just joking. He's like, let's sell our property and move to mountains. And I told him, I thought he was crazy. I thought he was kidding. He's a surfer dude. He's not a mountain man. He, he was <laughs> yeah. a surfer dude. You know, he was born and raised with flip-flops and a surfboard under his arm. And uh, we had a small mom-and-pop construction business. And our, all of our stuff was paid off. You know, we worked really hard. We didn't have debt. We had a really good business, friends, family. And so I did, I thought we were going to die there. You know, I really, I didn't think that. I thought we'd live out our golden years there. Well, we had our couple little chickens and our bees and our two itty bitty milk and goats and life was good. And uh, then we also, the city decided to change all of their laws and because they were building development. And they made pretty much basically everything that we had against the law. And, wow. you know, even gardens, you know, you were supposed to have like their permission to have a garden. And that's how the zoning regulations. And we fought it. We got a constitutional attorney. You know, we went with farm and consumer legal defense. And it was just, it sucked all the joy right out of our lives. So yeah. um, one day my husband said, let's do it. I said, do what? He goes, let's follow the bigger homesteading dream. You know, let's leave. And I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. Yeah. And I thought he was crazy. And uh, lo and behold, he was 
serious. And um, three months later, when his surfing buddies told, said, hey, I heard you guys are moving to Tennessee. I uh, went to my husband and had a serious come to Jesus meeting with him. I'm like, how, what, how are we going to do? He was, I don't know. He was honestly, Amber, he goes, I just feel God's put it on my heart that we need to move away from the beach into the country, the mountains. And I'm like, well, I trust God and I trust you. So let's do it. And we put our, we it took a year for us to finish the construction on our house. because I'm a contractor's wife. And just like a mechanic's wife, you know, everything, you don't drive a car that's fixed, it always has to be worked on. And that's where our house was. And, um, (laughs) you know, it's always under construction. And anyhow, for a year, I waited very impatiently. And finally, I said, when is this going to be done? He says, honey, I don't know the answers. All I know is when it happens, it's going to be his timing and it's going to happen quickly. That's all I can tell you. And I don't like not knowing the details. So I've had to really let go of that since we moved here. Um, but we did, we put our, he finished our house. I'm like, wow, it's done. It's like, I've lived 23 years in a house under construction mm. and I got to stay in it in it's finished state for four days. Like, oh no, <laughs> no, that's my worst nightmare. I know, I know. We had, you know, we had, because the city changed the laws, we had to get rid of all of our um, livestock and everything. And so we didn't have that to move, but we listed our house on a Friday. It sold full price cash offer in less than 24 hours. Oh my word. And they wanted, I know they even wanted the pictures on the wall. You know, I thought I had months to pack up all 23 years worth of junk, you know? Yeah. And um, anyhow, we didn't even know where we were going. We, we just knew the mountains and we knew we had to stay within a day's driving range from our family because my husband's parents were older and not in good health and so everyone's like how did you find your land we didn't it found us Mm. so we literally like closed our eyes put a finger on the map said okay let's start here and uh and we had criteria you know everybody's got their dream of what, what they want when they look for property and our criteria wasn't um I want to say it was huge but it was we wanted in the country we didn't want to see neighbors because after a lifetime of looking out our window and into the window of 10 different neighbors we wanted that privacy and we knew we wanted to live off grid and the reason being for that that portion of it that came into play was that I I we you know I already mentioned we were debt free But besides that, I still felt like I was under the control of the powers that be. Like if anybody at any time choose to turn off our power, if they didn't get the bill, if the automatic payment didn't come out of the account or or something got messed up, you know, they could just push a button and turn the power off. And it actually happened one time. They, in their own uh, reasoning, they switched us from paper billing to electronic billing, which I didn't care for and because I always like to have a record and I can't keep up with everything online. And um, I had, you know, we've been there over 20 years, never once a day late on our electric. And I just got a thousand dollars worth of produce for my farmer's market. And I came home and my mom, my daughter's like, mom, the computer turned off and I can't do my schoolwork. I said, oh, someone must have hit a transformer. No, they turned our power off without any notice. They said they didn't have to get one. 
And that had such a profound impact on me. I was so mad and so I felt helpless because I mean, I called and, you know, I wasn't, I, I didn't cuss, but I wasn't nice. And I just said, I have the cash. Why didn't you guys come up to the door? Where's my sticker? I've been with you 20 years, you know, and they could care less. They were just like, I don't care. And the same thing with the water, you know, we had a well, we had a septic, it was good. And they wanted to come in and pave the roads and they were forcing everybody to go on city. And if you didn't buy into their system, they put a lien on your place and sell it at auction if you didn't pay it. So it was those kind of things that made me have that desire of like, if we can ever have a way to remove that control from other people over our quality of life, I want to do it, even if it's harder. And um, so that's kind of where those two desires came into play. You know, the one for more land so we could homestead and the one for living off-grid. Yeah, and that's powerful. I think I know a lot of my audience can relate to that feeling of wanting that independence, wanting that autonomy. Um, Christian and I talk a lot about, there's just, there's two types of people and this might offend some people to hear us talk about this, but there are some people who feel safer in the confines of the city systems and the structures and having someone else take care of them. And then there's people who feel safer. I think you and I, when we're kind of independent, wild and free, we know there's more risk because we're, it's all on us, but like, that's our comfort zone. So it's just two different mindsets, but it's interesting to hear you express it like that. Cause I know it resonates with a lot of people. And I completely agree. I've never been one that liked to be taken care of by others. I've always been self-employed since I was 16, you know, and part of me is like that control aspect. And part of me is just like that independent, you know, I want to be, if I fail, it's me to blame. If I succeed, it's from hard work, you know, and of course the grace of God. I mean, I'm not taking credit, but uh, that's kind of how I've always been in the off-grid lifestyle just really fits in with that. And when we go talk off-grid, I just want to do my disclaimer. So many people, especially online, it's hilarious when they're like, I make a statement. I live off-grid. How are you on the internet if you live off-grid? And off-grid means something different to everybody. What it means to us means that we're not reliant or connected to the public utilities. We're not connected to the grid, so to speak, that way. It doesn't mean that we're hermits in the mountain complete. No one can go off radar. You can try, but at some point in time, you're going to have to go buy something somewhere or, you know, you're going to need something that you will be spotted by someone. So to feel like the the definition of off-grid means that you are a complete hermit is crazy. Yes, agree. So you're not anti-electronic. Obviously, we're talking on a Zoom call right now, recording this podcast, but you're just liking your source of power to be coming from a different place than the, the main system, basically, right? Absolutely. It's more of self-sufficiency. So I work online, much like you do um, for some of your income, and I have to have internet. You know, also, this is my only way to connect with my family, you know, do visual that still lives in South Carolina. So yeah, we're not anti-electronic. However, we are very, we still like to be very eco-conscious and we still like to be 
um, we still like to be manual with a lot of things on per intentionally manual, you know, instead of relying on the quick convenience that some electronics provide. Absolutely. For sure. Um, I think a lot of homesteaders, you know, we just, there's just a different, I don't know, quality of life that comes from doing things a little more analog sometimes. I, I totally agree with that. Even if you are on grid, I think a lot of people choose that in this homestead niche for those reasons. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's a necessity, you know I mean? Because things fail. And just like, you know, living at the coast for my husband's whole life of 50 something years, and I lived there 23, we went through a lot of hurricanes. We went through a lot of power outages. And you wouldn't believe how many people freaked out, panicked, because their Keurig machine didn't work and they couldn't get their morning coffee. Yeah. And so it's not, I didn't want, you know, you don't want to laugh at them, but you want to help empower them by going, hey, there's an alternative that you can have your morning Joe without electricity. And they're just, you know, that information and that education has been lost for generations. If they don't have an elder in their life to share that information with her, they don't know. Exactly. Yeah, it is. A lot of that is lost skills. Um yeah, you're speaking my language. That's the stuff I love is helping people just like have those light bulb moments. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So back to your, back to your story here, you sold okay. your house very quickly in Myrtle beach and you didn't really know <laughs> exactly where you were headed. You had an idea, you find, you found your 47 acres. And then what was the process of getting it set up? Like, did you guys do all the work yourself? Did you hire it out? What did that look like? So we ended up here when, you know, we wanted water um, on our land. That was, we wanted a Mountain View. We wanted water. I personally would have preferred a lot more pasture land, but the rest of the family loved the very mountainous terrain, which mm. that in itself provides um, huge, huge obstacles that I never dreamed of because we were flatlanders. <laughs> we, yeah. you know, you don't know what you don't know. And unfortunately, Jill, this is why I love you doing what you're doing, because I had absolutely nobody in my life to consult. I didn't have anybody that did what we were wanting to do. So there was nobody for me to ask advice from. And it was tough because we felt very alone. You know, we felt isolated. And not only was I leaving all of my friends and family, we were taking on so many new adventures that we struggled with. And that could have been prevented had I had someone in my life I could have talked to. Um, but so thank you. Thank you for doing this because this is other people that want to do this lifestyle. I want to share whatever questions they have that I know, you know, through mistakes. Um, but when we came here, I think every family member, we gave our older children the, the choice. They could stay in South Carolina with family or they could come with us on this crazy adventure. Because my daughter, my middle daughter at that time was going to be a senior in high school. And I don't know how many of y'all out there have girls, <laughs> but the senior year in high school is kind of a biggie to them, you know? Right. And she was totally on board. I think she loved the thought of the adventure. She's kind of an adrenaline junkie. And um, so I said, okay. And Again, not knowing what we didn't know, we didn't know what to expect. I had the you know vision in my head, but I think each one of us came here to this land with different concepts of how they thought it was going to go. 
And I thought we'd be living in a tent, that we would never have a refrigerator, just like total, total, you know, 1800s, just getting to the, the land kind of thing. And my husband is like, oh, we're going to have an air conditioner. And, you know, I'm going <laughs> to, the house is going to be finished with crown mold and a baseboard within a year. And, you know, and the kids, I honestly don't even know how, um, what their initial vision was to where it is, the reality is. But I think that we ended up somewhere in the happy middle. And so when we moved to our land, there was a tiny 500 square foot dilapidated cabin, an old itty bitty log cabin on the property. And I was stoked because I'm like, hey, we don't have to sleep in a tent. Yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, I never, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't equate in my little perfect vision in my head. I didn't equate coyotes and black bears and bobcats and mountain lions. You know, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't think about the chiggers and and poison ivy and all of those fun things and uh so we got the cabin it didn't have any it still doesn't have any running water it didn't have heater air it literally was like four walls there's no kitchen there was a bathroom and <laughs> I say that hesitantly because it was just they had they put sheetrock up and it was all falling down and there was rats and it, it just was a complete guy. I don't even yes. know where, and I, I know I don't know. I don't want to know where the septic pipe led to. Yeah, I want to. That it was the creek. It went to the creek. There was no oh, septic, gosh. and yeah, yep. but it hasn't been occupied. <laughs> it hasn't been occupied since like 2008. So it was over decades since even humans kind of stepped on the the land, and that was it. That was the only developed part. And here they call it a holler which is like a valley. So mm-hmm. in the holler, and that's a term that we've had to come to use, but that's everything that's in the valley. And a lot of the Appalachians and the people that first moved here, they all built in the holler. No one built mountaintop. And so at least we had a structure that we could stay in for while we built, when right. we built a house. And when we built the house, um, we got our building permit. We knew in our head, what we wanted uh we had to make a lot of adjustments because you know tent and baseboard and crown molding you know kind of met together yeah and we knew (laughs) in in that happy middle and we knew that we were going to do solar we were hoping to do hydro and wind and we'll talk about that in a minute but we definitely knew we wanted solar and we picked a place on top of the mountain that was hard to get to and didn't have a water source and but got good sun and has amazing views so mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah we we took the view over practicality and uh with <laughs> after being here for about two two months and now mind you we went from almost three thousand square foot to 500 square foot for a family of five and two little yeah. itty bitty dogs and that in itself we became a real close family real quick like you could hear each other's thoughts, you could hear each other chew, even breathing became annoying. Um, you know, yeah, you I can only imagine. Shut up. Yeah. Yep. And then uh you know, and it rained five out of seven days a week. That first season we were here had record-breaking rains of 58 inches and flooding, and it, it was just it was crazy. I wish. I wish I would have had a daily like 
GoPro on me because it was really crazy. And I don't even know how we lived through it without killing each other. But yeah. Um, so back to the build, we were contacted about two months after living here. And it was seriously like the week we got our building permit. And um, I got an email to a website that I just took over right before we moved here saying, hey, do you know anybody moving off grid or building off grid? And I said, uh, yeah, we, we are. You know, they're like, when are you building? I said, well, we're breaking ground Thursday. We just got our building permit. They're like, stop. You know, we're looking for a family that we can document and film the building off the grid. And we yeah. want to fly out tomorrow and come and see y'all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. It, and this is, the. it's been crazy ever since we stepped foot in Tennessee. The, they came out here. And we met them and they liked the land and, you know, we're like, hey, this is an opportunity to share our experience with all of our friends and family, especially our parents that are too old to come here, mm -hmm. our life, you know, so we're not leaving them out. We're including, we thought it was a great opportunity. And, um, and then, so, you know, they like, yeah, the network likes you guys. We want to film your build. So they were asking who's going to build your house. And I said, well, just just us. I mean, this is a family build. This is a family journey. And they were kind of shocked because I've never seen the show, first of all, Building Off the Grid. We didn't have a TV. We didn't have cable or anything when we lived in Pauly's, something we got rid of years ago. And so we had never seen the show. And they said, oh, okay, well, and it moved forward. And I guess I was just excited about everything. I didn't think to ask a lot of questions. And when it came down to contract time, they're like, well, we need the build done in two months. Whoa. Our house. Yeah. Whoa. I'm yeah. like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what? And we had a long family meeting and prayer time. We're like, guys, you know, everybody, we know how this is coming together. We didn't even know about the show. We didn't approach them. They found us. We certainly felt that it was, everything was happening the way it's supposed to be. I said, well, here's where we'll leave this. We'll pray about this. And if we get it, we know we're supposed to move forward. And if we can't do it, because we know we can't build a house in two months, um, they'll just either have to figure it out or make it look good or whatever they do in TV land, yep. you know? <laughs> and because we, we were actually against other families that were trying to get on the show. And even another family in Tennessee that was different. Anyhow. Um, long story short is we got it and not only was it just did we finish it, it ended up being three months because of the weather but our location for our build was so difficult that we rented heavy machinery to help us and we could never get it up the mountain it our truck wasn't strong enough to pull it up and we tried to walk it up and it would fall apart the machinery did like the belts weren't strong enough to pull it up the mountain so we ended up having to do everything by old school hand. You know, all, all the footers were dug with a shovel, everything. And I honestly can't even, I can't explain in a rational way that makes sense of how my, basically my husband and my son built the house that they did in the amount of time they did. There's no human explanation. Other than yeah. that was it. <laughs> but I will say, and then too, um, so our house where we live, it is 960 square feet. It is two stories. It has 
Well, in our terms, it has four bedrooms. That's not necessarily in real estate terms because none of the bedrooms have a closet right now. So we don't have closets <laughs> right now. But we have three bedrooms upstairs and our master bedroom downstairs. We have an outside bathhouse and then our kitchen, kitchen, it's open floor plan. So we have our kitchen with our bar, bar seating, and we have our dining area with our table and chairs. And then we have our living area with our couch and everything. And then we have our only bonus room in the house is our pantry, which is my favorite room in the house. <laughs> Naturally, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so about our off-grid home, we have, so we're off-grid and I already gave that definition. We're not connected mm -hmm. to any public utilities. We have solar here and then we have rainwater collection. And um, that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. Okay. So do you have any, like, there's no wind. It's just basically solar is your primary driver of that system. So your solar is our primary driver of our system that provides all of our energy right now. We are, okay. we do have the plans to add a wind generator only for, because the times that our solar does not work is when it's cloudy or stormy, you know, and during those times we always have wind. So that makes the most sense to us to add that to our system to compensate for those downtimes. Right. Absolutely. Um, Wow, this is just fascinating. And I, I just have to go back to like thinking, I mean, we have a lot of challenges out here on the prairie when we do things, but we, we never have the challenge of getting heavy machinery up the mountain. So I'm just like picturing <laughs> what a obstacle and just, that's just <laughs> impressive me beyond words how, how that, wow, just wow. Um, and then three months. So I just had to say that. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what's so funny is again, I'm a flatlander. So when we picked the location for our house, I was so scared to drive my car up here that I walked up and down the mountain for the first three weeks we moved here because I wouldn't drive. Yeah. I was scared that I wouldn't make it. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I'm like, how am I gonna? I'm too, I'm too old and I'm too fat to walk up and down this mountain every day. <laughs> Not that that wouldn't do me good shape, you know, I would get in good shape. But it just isn't feasible to live that way, you know, and yeah. Yeah. can't carry groceries. It's a quarter mile difference between the front of our property and where our house is. And it's, I want to say it's a 600 foot difference in elevation between the holler and where our home is. So it's quite, wow. it's, it's, it's steep terrain, this, yeah, which in itself is a lot of problems. Yeah. Sure. sure. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. So back, back to solar. I'm sorry. I just, I know I had to do that rabbit trail there, but back to solar. Um, okay. One thing, Krista and I have talked a lot about alternative energy sources for our homestead. We're still on grid, as most folks know, but especially this year, we're like, how could we start shifting that? How could we start moving towards more sustainable energy? And solar is one that we think of a lot because out here on the prairie, it's sunny, like obnoxiously sunny 90% of the time. And we also have a lot of wind. But one of the questions we're always debating is, you know, these are big investments in the systems and how long will it take for the system to pay for itself? And did you guys have those conversations or how did you kind of rationalize that? So one of the things that I said, you know, when I mentioned, I didn't have anybody in our life that I could talk to. It was so hard plugging, you know, get, gathering little tidbits of information here, there and everywhere and putting them together to try to adapt our lifestyle to it. 
And so if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of go over what our system is and how we came about using or figuring out how much we needed for our solar. I would love that. And that would be so fabulous. Our, yes. Okay. Great. Well, our system is a 48 volt system and we have 12 solar panels. Now, mind you, we just bought this three years ago, but it's always adapting. It's always improving. Kind of like when you buy the newest iPhone, as soon as you get it, they've come out with the next one and you're already out of date. So I'm pretty sure there's better than what we have. I know there's better than what we have, but this is what we had that we bought three years ago. It's 12 315 watt panels. And then you could go with the lithium batteries, but my goodness. So the lithium batteries were like $10,000 just for the batteries. They had almost the same, they had a 25 year lifespan. We went with um, the lead acid batteries, like the flooded wet battery. And their lifespan was eight, eight to 10 years. And it was like $2,500. So I said, well, if we just replace them every eight to 10 years at $2,500, we'd get 40 years worth of batteries for half the, you know, still less than buying the lead ass, I mean, the lithium batteries. So that's how we decided on what type of batteries that we wanted. Okay. And then we have the inverter and, and the charge controller. Now we bought a package unit from a solar company that I, unless you're privy to how solar works, I would strongly suggest working with a company that does that for you because it's so complex at first. <laughs> I say at first, my husband was a mechanic by trade. He worked on the tugboats and he was a carpenter and he has electronic and mechanic skills. And it took him three months of staring at our system to figure out how to do it before he could wrap his head around it. Yeah, yeah. And that isn't a, that isn't a joke because they don't have really good videos, but they do have great customer support vocally, you know? Um, and I think too, it could have helped that I threatened him a little bit going, if you don't get us in our home with power, I'm going up there and I'm staying anyways. I don't care, <laughs> you know, and you know, lo and behold, within that week, we had power. Woo! Yep, um, yep. Another thing that helped us decide on our system is any good solar company is going to question you. What do you want to run? You know, what do you want to run off your system? And that's how we can create your package. And if you start saying, well, I want to run everything I have right now, that's when you're going to start really racking up into the money. So when we were still living in South Carolina, we audited our own home. We looked at every single thing that ran off electricity. And then I researched each item and figured out how many watts of energy those things took. And that's one of, I think, the biggest problems that a lot of people make that want to go to green energy or sustainable energy or self-sufficient energy is they want to keep their same creature comforts and their same lifestyle without changing anything but they want it to be green energy. Yeah. And that's just not practical unless you have insanely deep pockets. And at that point, it is not, it's cost prohibitive. It doesn't even make sense. Like sure. why spend $100,000 on a system that 
you're never going to receive your return on before you got to reinvest when it's cheaper just to get your electric, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's, yeah, that's where I think that people, you know, that's where I think that people either succeed or fail with their green energies. They install solar and they have it, but they haven't reduced their energy consumption. So the solar doesn't meet their needs and they're not happy. So what kind of things have you guys, I don't know if sacrifice is the right, right word, but you have transitioned or shifted out of or into to reduce your energy requirements. So solar made sense. That's a great question because that's where we were talking earlier about the whole coffee pot kind of thing is there are a lot of ways that you can reduce your energy consumption, still have the end result that you want to, but you're going to be using manual labor versus convenience. And okay. we, my husband and I have this conversation a lot because he goes, hey, if we can get more energy, then we can add this, this, and this. And I keep having to bring him back going, we didn't come all this way to have our life in the city up here in the mountains. You know, we're doing things slower, more intentional on purpose, because I think that people, they want the end result. And when they just want that instant end result, they're missing the journey. So we, the things that we have, I say sacrifice, but, and that is a good word, but now that we are doing most everything manual, it's really, it is rewarding. Now, where it seemed like a sacrifice at first, now it feels really rewarding. So our house doesn't have any AC. It gets really hot here several days that, you know, the heat index is over 100, much like the beach, but without the ocean breeze. So yep. um, we don't have AC. <laughs> we don't have AC. We don't have um, central heat. We don't have heat. We don't have electric oven. There's, with our system, because it is on a smaller scale, we can't use anything that pulls heat. So we can't really use like a crock pot, an instant pot. We can't use an iron. We can't use um, an incubator for our chickens. Anything that generates heat, we can't use on our system as it is. Unless that's the only thing running. So like, if we don't want to use anything else, then it's possible we can do that on a sunny day and it'll be fine. But we don't have, um, so like even a potato masher, a lot of people love getting out the blender or their KitchenAid or, um, I honestly can't remember what the, the big ones all that everybody uses. Um, maybe a KitchenAid. I don't know. I don't know. A box you know, is another so one. Yeah, yeah. You go I know back what you, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you go back to the old mash, the, the old potato masher. Yeah, my iron for clothes when and if I ever do iron my clothes is the old timey, you know, seven pound cast iron iron that I set on my wood stove to heat up. I haven't blow dried my hair in years, even before we met. Oh, blow dryer is another one you can't use. Um, and of course, now this is probably where everyone's like, oh, forget it. If I can't have my AC, forget it. You know, that, that's normally the deal breaker with a lot of yeah. people. Uh, yeah. Hot water heater. We don't have a hot water heater. Okay. But we have been able to manually provide all those same things in a different, like the old timey, you know, intentionally old fashioned way. And it worked. It never stopped working. But just like microwaves, you know, your oven never stopped working. 
So we don't have um, we don't have the modern conveniences, but we still have the end result. Just we do everything manually, like you know, old fashioned on purpose. That's how we're living now. So we have a wood cook stove, and the conveniences they I guess is not they we want that instant result. We're a consumer society. And that's why, I mean, microwaves, you know, microwaves hurry up and zap your food real quick and you don't have to cook it. There's no prep time. There's also no nutrients, mm -hmm. but the old wood cook stoves never quit working. We just wanted a quicker, better, faster way. So all of these old tiny things that we personally have intentionally gone back to, they still work. It just takes longer. So, um, for instance, we have the wood cook stove instead of electric stove. We have a hand washer and wringer instead of a washing machine. Okay. We have our wood heat, you know, instead of central heat. Yep. For air conditioning, the things that work for air conditioning, first of all, we all, I mean, you're, you're younger than I am, but I grew up without air conditioning. That was a luxury that I didn't get until I was a teenager. So it's, it is doable. <laughs> it's really doable. And I honestly feel like my body functions better now. It's not constantly trying to keep its ambient temperature inside or my core temperature when I'm going back and forth between 68 degrees and 99 degrees, you know, all day long. My body, my immune system isn't on this crazy roller coaster all day because it's trying to regulate its heat. So I feel, even though I miss it sometimes now when we go like to a store during the summer, we're, we're those old people that are complaining how cold it is. You know, like, yeah. we're the people we used to make fun of. Um, but are we insulated our house? We're insulating, I shouldn't say. Our house is still half uninsulated. Our house really well. And then we installed what we thought was, you know, breaking edge technology. And I've seen other people since we did it who have done it, is the earth tube. And the earth tube is buried in the earth where it's 55 degrees all the time, no matter where you are. And it brings in that cool air through a vent we put in the house. We also have fans. Um, and I'm trying to, oh, we can't do a food dehydrator. So we do the solar, yeah, okay. you know, just let everything dehydrate with the gold fashioned sun. And the pressure canner is something that I haven't been able to figure out how to use here yet. And I know everyone's like, oh, I just haven't figured it out because you're not supposed to use it on a burner. Like that's all we have. Oh, mm -hmm. as far as the closest thing we have to electric, we have a gas yeah. propane burner, like a turkey fryer burner. Yeah. And you're not supposed to use it on that because it weakens the bottom. So I just can only water bath can at the moment. That's not a permanent, you know, it's not going to be a permanent situation that way. I will figure it out. I just have it. <laughs> so if anybody's listening and they figured it out, please let me know because I need my pressure piano. Um, yeah, yeah. And I'm trying to think. So the things that we run on our grid, um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys how much I purchased it for because I believe in transparency. I don't ever want anybody to try to go into this life like we did. If I, if they can, if I can offer advice, because again, it was so lonely. <laughs> it was so yeah, discouraging and you don't ever want anybody to fail. You know, I mean, that's why you offer all the help you do. If people want a homestead, you want to help them succeed for the more, the better. 
Amen. You know? Amen. Yes. Yes. And our system, um, yeah. I mean, that's what we're all here for. We're supposed to be a community, lift each other up and help each other. There's plenty of room at the top for everybody. Yep. Uh, our system was $7,793.37. Now that was everything except for the batteries. The batteries you don't want to get shipped to you. The batteries you always want to buy local. Okay. Um, and I say that because it's they're just so stinking heavy. They're they're heavy, they're dangerous, they're hard to ship, and it doesn't support your local business that you can, you know. So the batteries are something you want to buy local. And batteries, we went through, you can get them at a car place, you can get them at a boat place, you can get them at just a battery place. They're not uh they're not selective as far as you know, you could only get them at a solar place. Okay, that's and the batteries are twenty five hundred dollars. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The batteries were $2,500. And so it was a little under $11,000 for our whole system. And that's, that's it. So when you were asking how long before you see a return, it really depends, Jill, on a couple things. One, how much you already pay in electric. You know, everybody's kilowatt hour charge is different depending on where you live. Two is what are you trying to replace? Are you trying to replace all of your gadgets and gizmos and your, you know, your regular electric stuff? Or are you just trying to run like your husband's shop or the barn or your whole life like we did, but with the, with a acknowledgement that you're going to change your electric dependencies so you can, you know, do it. And that's where we were. We replaced everything and only have the solar, and it was less than $11,000, and we've been living off of it for three years, we've already made our money back. Yeah, that feels very reasonable. I mean, I know you're still making adjustments. It's not like you're running a full-fledged modern home with air conditioners and stuff, but it, that feels like a, a reasonable investment. Um, yeah, I'm really impressed. And it, I love how much research you guys did to get so um, granular with the information. So this is super helpful. Thank you for sharing in that detail because that's what people, like you said, that's what they really need to be able to make these educated decisions. Well, you asked, I think um, one of the things we talked about too, you said you were looking at getting a generator. And so everyone's like, well, what do you do when there's a storm? We have to use a generator. I don't think that was one of the only, that was one of the most valuable pieces of advice that someone gave me that did have solar, they said, no matter what, you will have to have a generator. You can't run solar without it. And yes, you can. I mean, that was kind of a harsh statement. Yeah, you could, if you want to go without power during your snowstorms or during your rainy yeah. days or during the day that you absolutely have no input, but we like to have our food fresh in our refrigerator. Oh, we, oh, we run a regular refrigerator. I forgot to say okay. that. We don't have okay. an old ice box. We, we have a real refrigerator and a real freezer. I have, yep, I have a computer. I have internet. We charge our cell phones. My husband, if it's a sunny day, you know, gloves are off. I can use my curvy vacuum. I mean, I got music going. I got, you're just, you're very conscious of okay. your consumption. I mean, we've got a pump going for our saltwater pool that my husband built us. I mean, so you, we have, you know, there's lights in every room. There's ceiling fans. We're not that rustic cabin that you rent at a campsite. You know, we're, we're in between. <laughs> yeah, we're in I like between. That. I like but that. we do yeah. have to have a generator. Yeah. 
And I want to say, so this year, this winter was a little different for us of where we're keep adjusting because we're from the beach. We're not used to all of this snow that we had. On Christmas Day, we had this insane snowstorm that hit this area and it stranded thousands of people in the street on the evening, on the day of Christmas. Mm. And we were without power to the small cabin down in the holler for a week. And it was only because in the cabin where my son lives and the one that we were at in the holler is grid connected to electric, no plumbing. And it's very minimal electric, but we had trees that fell on all of the power lines. They trapped us in our property. Mm. And honestly, Jill, if we would have just stayed mountaintop, we would have never missed a beat. We would have never known what everybody was going through. But we tried to leave because I wanted to go to the store. I'm like, oh, we can't leave. And it was a week before they got here to remove the live power lines across the property. So, um, but during that time, you know, at, in the evening when the sun went down and the batteries weren't charged, we would have to run our generator about an hour a day. And I want to say all winter, that's from when it started getting cold and later October, all the way through February, we didn't go through $30 worth of gas. That's impressive. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, but it's still just reassuring, like you said, just to have that generator, a good investment along with your solar system, just, you know, so you don't have those snowstorms and you lose all the food in your fridge or things like that. Exactly. I think everybody should have a plan B, even if you live in the city, you know, and you're considering this, there's, you're going to lose power in the city too. I mean, it's not just the country mountain thing, you know, it's, you just experienced it yourself, uh, you know, I mean, the snowstorm. And I think everybody should have a plan B for the things that you, that provide for your quality of life. I love that. Yes. Um, and that brings me to, as we kind of wrap up, I have two questions for you, for the audience, really. Um, well, not questions for the audience, questions to you for the audience. That sounded weird, but <laughs> I gotcha. you know what I mean? <laughs> so, okay. So if someone is living in the city, cause I know there's a lot of people listening, they love this conversation, but they're like, I can't move to the mountains right now. Don't know if that's a possibility. So you know, we look at what happened in Texas this year. I even look at what happened in our local area this weekend. We have a historic snowstorm. The neighborhoods are crammed full of snow. The power actually went out in town. We let our power stay on out in the middle of nowhere, bizarrely. But the people in town were without power for like 40 hours. Um, if someone's in that situation, how can they just take those steps towards that plan B, towards becoming more self-reliant where they live now? That's a great question. And I honestly think that this should not only be something that people should be interested in, it should become a priority for them because we have such a volatile grid. It can be a wind, it can be a hurricane, it can be a freak snowstorm in the middle of March that just knocks it all out. And then you have panic. When you have panic, you have problems, you have stress, you have anxiety. You know, and there's just so many negatives that come with that, that a little preparation can remove that stress. For instance, um, when we lost power in this entire county, and we live by Pigeon Forge in Gatlinburg, they get 15 million tourists a year. I, we, again, would have never known there was anything going on where we live had I not been privy to the internet and seeing people were in dire panic 
They're like, we're trapped. We have no food. We have no water. We have no heat. We're, we've got children here. They were, I mean, my heart was just going out, but we couldn't even leave our property because we were trapped with live wires going across the trees. Yeah. And so even if, and these are, I mean, this is Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. They're big cities. They have all of the Dollywood Amusement Park, you know, Ripley's Aquarium. They're, they're not podunk country, county, you know, the country. And I think that some good steps to take would always, do you always have your emergency box or your bug out bag or what, or your bug in bag. And that would be just your basic preps, you know, starting with your basic preps. And hurricane season really seasoned us every year with being without the modern conveniences. Do a self audit, try to find in your life what it is that you use that's electric that you count on for your quality of life every day and see if you can find a way to use a manual replacement. Not that you have to, you know, there's a lot of things I've done once. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. You know, like making soap from wood ash. Yeah, that's fun, you know, <laughs> but sure. it's, it's a skill that you can learn. It's like, okay, I have that knowledge now. If I ever have to rely on it, it's there. I'll pull it out my memory bank. I got my recipe. I'm good, but it's not for my everyday living. No, thank you. You know, and that's kind of how you can approach that. So do yourself on it. Take a list of everything that you rely on for electricity or your water supply and see if you can find a manual way. For instance, if you rely on your water for a water pump, right, for electricity, yes. And that's yep. the only way you can get water in your house, then get you a manual pump that will bypass the electric system for a grid down situation. You know, again, I, I joke about the coffee. I'm a coffee connoisseur. You know, <laughs> I, I got to have my coffee in the day and don't talk to me before I've had at least one cup. You know? right. And uh, it's just, that's my me time. That's a, it's a, an experience that I have a very strong relationship with my coffee. And I, I would too panic if I couldn't get my coffee. So figure out if you're like me, if you love your Joe in the morning, figure out how to make it with a percolator, get you a cheap one. They sell them at every camp store, you know, get you some Mylar sealed coffee and just make it a couple times, get it down and then pack it away somewhere for those. What ifs? Yep. I like that. I, I like it. Yeah. Just having those bags, bug, bug out bag, bug in bag, the preps. Um, and, and that's really like, I feel like this just goes so well with the homesteading lifestyle. I've, I've prefaced this season is that it's not necessarily a season about prepping. I mean, it kind of is, it kind of isn't, but it's just about figuring out things you can do now, those manual uh, systems, the different way to make coffee that you can implement now, or you can play with now that is interesting. It's expanding your still skill set it's bringing you a better quality of life. And it also prepares you in the case of something crazy happening. So just good stuff. Absolutely. It's better to learn it now when you have the luxury and the time to do it than having an emergency, you know? Absolutely. And again, if you're just a little, if you're a little bit of education can go such a long way in removing that panic in a situation that would generally cause panic. Yes. Yes. Preparedness is key. Um, okay. So my last question for you is, let's say, you know, we have a homesteader listening to this episode. They have the land, they have the animals, they're, they're 
more prepared than the average bear, but they're kind of like us. They want to start moving towards some sort of off-grid electric system, whether it's solar or wind. Where do they start? Where would you say now that you've been there, done that, where would you direct someone like that first? Well, the first thing um, I have a lot of people that's like, yeah, I've got that homestead. I want to move off grid. You know, how much do I need or how much does your system cost? And the very first thing is like, well, what are you trying to supply energy to? And I'm going to go back to that self audit, figure out everything that you need. For instance, if you raise, say your homestead, you raise chicks, you, you're, you're like a private hatchery and you rely on those incubators all the time. So that joint, you know, that's a lot of power, you know, that you're going to have to supply just to those incubators and you're going to have to figure those things out, you know. How much of a system do I need to supply heat to those incubators? Which in this case, I would suggest, okay, you're going to have to use a generator for that because you're going to suck your system dry and it's not going to be worth it financially. The other thing is you have to have everybody in your house on board. That is, That just kind of goes back to that whole evenly yoked marriage kind of thing. Your, your partner has to be in it just like you are. If you've got one that's a diehard off-grid, you know, prepping, and the other one likes to go shopping at Macy's every day, you're in trouble. You know, I mean, you, you, <laughs> you're in trouble because, it, you know, you know, it's tough. I always call it, we've got this Pinterest perfect facade of homesteading and off-grid living. And we, it's not Pinterest perfect. It's yes. goat poop and chicken poop. You know, I mean, it's just yeah. it's poop and guts and and it's it's not Pinterest perfect. No. And if you can have everybody on board, and you'll never know. You know, it's you can say, oh yeah, we're ready, and you don't know until you actually do it. I would say one of the things that we hope to do, we hope that we have the ability to do, is to have a place where people can go and try it out. You know, like a try before you buy off-grid living kind of thing. I like Um, that. We're not there yet, but I think that would be wonderful because I would have appreciated doing it. I think the closest that you could come to it, and I suggest this actually, is going rural, you know, primitive camping. If you've never been camping and you want to live off-grid, take your family and go rural primitive camping. You know, get get a little tiny taste of it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great, great advice. Great advice. And then don't, and don't go in debt. I think that's the last one too, is, um, we could not do this life if we had, if we were slaves to debt. And that is one of the things that really motivated us about our children. We had the opportunity to offer our children a self-sufficient, sustainable, debt-free life. So they won't be slaves to it. I have got one son who he's still a slave to his college debt. He's been paying down that joker for five years. Yeah. And it weighs him down. It keeps him a prisoner to the jobs that he doesn't even like because he has that responsibility. And if you're, especially if you're moving out of state like we were, if you're like living in the same area and you're still going to do the same job and I would see that would be more feasible to take on a little bit of debt for this kind of lifestyle. But if you're moving off into a different state, into a new area and you're quitting your job and you're cashing in your 401k and you're going to homestead for the very first time, debt is the last thing you want looming over you. 
because you've got too many other things to focus on. So you can start little and expand from there. You don't have to have your whole dream come true in that first year. You can chip away at it debt-free instead of being a prisoner to debt. Because that's just, that's, to me, that's a recipe for disaster. Yes, so much on that unneeded stress. Totally, totally agree. Um, Amber, this has been an incredible episode. So much good stuff, so much wisdom. Where can folks find you online? Or I know you have you have your off-grid show that has already published, or published, is that the right word? Aired, maybe? <laughs> but you have another episode coming mm-hmm. out. Isn't that correct? We do. So um, first and foremost, I have my website, which is myhomesteadlife.com. And, you know, we share off-grid living and homesteading and just kind of, you know, we also have like a developing farm and we're finally selling livestock now. So I'm really excited about that locally, of course. Um, and and that's a full-time job as it is. It's kind of crazy. But the show we're doing, another episode coming up, and it is the best of the Building Off the Grid series. And I believe she said, the production company said it's going to be at the end of April, first part of May, and it'll be on the DIY network. And they're also tied in with the Discovery Channel. So um, they can tune into that and find that episode. And the first episode with Building Off the Grid, we are season six, episode six, Smoky Mountain Homestead. And you can find that. They show it the reruns all the time, but it really is our build from beginning to end. So you can see the elements that I had talked about with you today in the build. And uh, it takes two, three months and it just squishes it down to 45 minutes. Awesome. I, I haven't watched it yet. I saw it when it was initially coming out and I have to go hunt that down and see if I can find it online somewhere. Um, but that's even cooler now that I have the backstory of what actually went down. So, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Amber. This has been incredible. Um, Listeners, we're actually having Amber back for a second episode because we couldn't fit it all into this episode. We're going to have her back to talk about her off-grid water. It's a really, really big topic. So be listening and waiting for that episode. It's coming soon. Uh, And in the meantime, go check out Amber's website, myhomesteadlife.com. And happy homesteading, friends. We'll talk again on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.